Now we're in. Turn with me, if you will, to Second Samuel tonight. So we left off. We just kind of started chapter two last week, and we had to cut off because we were out of time. But we ended with um, David coming back to um, seeking the Lord, and we were super excited for King David and where he is. David went through a season of life as he was running from Saul. He was very depressed. He got to the point where he said in his heart, "He said, Lord, there's nothing left but for Saul to kill me." And then he left, and he went, and he spent a season in the Philistine country. He never prayed. He never asked God for direction or wisdom. He went through a very dark and depressing season. He wrote no Psalms. He, he, he did no real ministry. He, he got very dark and raiding and attacking and killing and villages that he was doing. And now Saul is dead and we see David is back and David is now again for the first time recorded. He's inquiring of the Lord. And we pointed out last week as we ended that David um, is having this very cool conversation with God where it's back and forth. And we encouraged each one of us to, in our prayer life, in our time, to have back and forth conversation with God, to talk to God like a friend. You know, again, if, if we look at Adam and Eve, we look at Enoch that I've already made example of tonight, you know, what was God desiring? He was desiring fellowship and intimacy and having that kind of um, intimacy and fellowship with God. I think that God would be amazingly blessed if we became just more friendly to God and more conversational with the Lord and you know, and, and again, in just our everyday lives and, you know, and, and not, you know, I, I oftentimes, you guys, I feel like I never want to be um, discouraging to you by putting a burden on you that, you know, I myself am not able to carry. And so, you know, I tell you, read your Bible and pray every day. And I tell you guys, spend time alone in prayer and get on your knees and pray and do these things. But you know what, if those things become burdensome, don't let those things weigh you down. And I want to be careful that in, in, in encouraging you guys and teaching that I'm not putting something on you that, that is just not realistic because I know how life goes and I know how my life is. And I'm not, you know, I don't, I don't spend 14 hours a day on my knees reading the Bible, you know? Um, but, but again, that, that I would encourage those things, but I never want you to get under them. I never want you to get discouraged or think that, oh, well, I didn't, I didn't get in my room and close the door for two hours today. And I didn't, you know, read my Bible for 17 hours today. And I didn't go knock on all my neighbor's doors and I'm less than, and that, that's not, you know, I never want you to get under it. Definitely want to encourage those things, but also just being intentional about, you know, your daily living. Just we walk with God in, in everything that we do, and, and we're, we're praying, and we're talking to God, and we're asking God for direction and wisdom and, and counsel, and, you know, and then it, the more of that we're doing, the more that God is going to put it on our heart and give us opportunities to, to do some of the things alone with him and, and, and more intimate with him. But just be encouraged in just fellowshipping and, and relating to God in your daily life, you know, even in your businesses, even in your... Uh, in your work, you know, and in, in what you do and asking God, you know, um, for a solution and everything you have. And then, so it says, we'll just read verse one, but we won't go over it again. It says, and it happened after this, that David inquired of the Lord saying, shall I go up to the cities of Judah? And the Lord said to him, go up. And David said, where shall I go up? And he said to Hebron. So David went up there and his two wives, also Ahinoam, the Jezreelitess and Abigail, the widow of Nabal, the Carmelite. And David brought up the men who were with him, every man with the household, so they dwelt in the city of Hebron. Do you guys remember how many men David had with him? You don't remember how many men? Yeah, 400 that went with him on the last raid out of Ziklag, but then how many that stayed behind? 200 that stayed behind, giving David a number of 600, and these were David's faithful 600. We're going to see um, where David's um, army is going to go from 600 to about 600,000 
when he becomes the king of Israel. And so, um, but he's got these faithful 600. And then in verse five, it says, so David sent messengers to the men of Jabesh Gilead and said to them, you are blessed of the Lord for you have shown kindness to your Lord, to Saul and have buried him. And now may the Lord show kindness and truth to you. I also will repay you this kindness because you have done this thing. And now, therefore, let your hands be strengthened and be valiant, for your master Saul is dead, and also the house of Judah has anointed me king over them. And so um, you guys can highlight that, remember that, that um, Judah anointed David king. This is the second time David's been anointed. Hopefully before the night's over, we'll see the third time that David gets anointed. And just quickly, remember the men of Jabesh Gilead. When Saul became king, one of the first things that he did was Saul um, made a, a, a plea because the men of Jabesh Gilead were in trouble. They went down to that pagan king and he said, you know, um, you, you can serve me, but without your right eye, I'm going to take out your eyes. And, and, and the guy said, you have a week. You remember that? He gave him a week to figure out whether they were going to give him their right eyes or not. And so they go back and Saul had just become king. And then Saul cuts up that bull. And he says, this is going to happen to any of you if you don't come to the aid of, and so Saul and the men in their first valiant act, they ride up to Jabesh Gilead and they deliver the men of Jabesh Gilead in this first war of Saul. And then when Saul dies, The men of Jabesh Gilead remembered his kindness and they took his body and they buried him. And now David is basically just thanking them for taking the body of Saul and dealing with it. And then Saul, um, David is now telling the men of Jabesh Gilead that um, kind of like a political almost plea that, you know, I'm now anointed king and an invitation for them to serve him as king. And then in verse eight, it says, but Abner, the son of Ner, commander of Saul's army took Ishbosheth the son of Saul and brought him over to Mahanaim and he made him king over Gilead over the Asherites over the Jezreelites over Ephraim over Benjamin and over all of Israel so what does that mean that um Ishbosheth was the king over all of Israel now i'll just explain now the term Israel in the in the through through the Old Testament or through Samuel Chronicles Kings, there's a distinction between the northern kingdoms of Israel and the southern kings, kingdoms of Israel. So the southern kingdoms of Israel are going to go by the name of Judah. So when we see Judah, we're talking about the southern tribes, um, two tribes in the south, ten in the north, and the northern ten tribes were called Israel. It was one of the names, the northern ten, Israel. Um, and the kingdoms of Israel, for most of Israel's history through this period, is divided. And so we have two kingdoms, the north and the south. Again, Israel and Judah are the common names for those two kingdoms. So when Ishbosheth was made king over all of Israel, and in the last verse it just said that David was made king over Judah, and that's exactly what it means, is that we have these divided kingdoms. Now only a couple times in all of Israel's history were the northern and the southern king kingdoms united. Once or twice under King David, again under King Solomon, you can make an argument that um, they were united under Joshua, but that was before the season of the monarchs in Israel because Israel didn't have a king until Saul and David become the first kings of Israel in this new era of Israel's history. And under David, for a short season, the kingdoms will be united. Now, one of the things that, that, you, that you'll see as we study through the Old Testament that's very interesting is that um, 
the northern kingdoms, the ten northern tribes of Israel, never had one good king. Every one of the kings of the north were, were bad. And, and Judah, the southern kingdoms, had good kings and seasons, but they also had bad kings. But you see what happens in Israel's history is when they have a good king, you know, what, what he'll do is he'll restore the land to God. He'll, he'll, he'll bring back the reading of the word of God. He'll bring back the law of Moses. And he'll, he'll reinstitute things, national laws that are godly. And you'll see the nation of Israel begin to prosper and grow. And then, and then they'll, get, they'll have a bad king. And then um, for a season, he'll stop doing those things and he'll allow pagan worship. And you'll see the, 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 the condition of Israel decline and you watch this wave of Israel's history and it usually is tied to the king um, and what he's doing. And so we'll, we'll see that as we get through Second um, Samuel, we get into Chronicles, Kings, those things, and we follow the history of the kings in Israel, a long history of the kings in Israel. And so Ishbosheth was the son of Saul. And Abner is Saul's right-hand guy. So Abner, Ishbosheth is really a puppet here in verse number eight. Abner is really the guy of power. And Abner is the one who's going to, um, but he doesn't have the ability to be king. So he takes it upon himself. And, and Abner is going to admit, he's going to, to confess in a little bit when tides turn on him, that he knew all along. And at what point he knew, who knows, but he knew that David was the one that God called to be the king of Israel. And he's going to confess and eventually serve David. Now, um, there's, there was four characters that I want you to remember. Saul, right? Saul's dead now. And Saul's right-hand guy, his number one guy is Abner. He's the general. Abner is a man's man. He is a, he is a warrior. Every time Abner goes to fight, he wins. His, his counterpart is a guy named Joab, and Joab is David's right-hand guy. So David and Joab, Saul, and Abner. And so you'll hear those names, and I always get them confused. And so the only, this is the way I remember them because I'm from L.A. S.A. and D.J. Like, orale S.A. So Saul and Abner, S.A., and D.J., David, and Joab. So when you see those, if they get confused and what camp we're in, you can remember S.A. and D.J., and that'll help you keep, keep track of what's going on. So Abner is in the north, and he, and he, he makes um, Ishbosheth this puppet king. And in verse 10, Ishbosheth, Saul's son, was 40 years old when he began to reign over Israel. And he reigned two years. Only the house of Judah followed David. So the two tribes in the south followed David. So the kingdom is divided. And again, for most of Israel's history, um, the kingdoms will be divided. And the time that David was king in Hebron over the house of Judah was seven years and six months. So for seven years and six months. Now listen, David's saga continues. Somebody say, poor David. You know, even though, listen, even now that God's plan is starting to come to fruition in David's life. You know, again, the the Bible is is full of, of these stories to tell you and I something, one thing that I've been pointing out all through the Old Testament, and that is that you can trust God. Okay, don't forget that. That's on the test. Okay, it's on every test that I give. The Bible is telling you through the Old Testament, you can trust God. And then we get these stories. We get the story of, of Joshua and I'm, or Joseph. And I'm not going to go through repeating the whole story of Joseph. But in a nutshell, Joseph was promised that his mother and father and his brothers were going to bow down to him. And he was going to be used greatly. And then for the next 20 years, his life was a living hell. 
And, and, and like, where is God in all of this? And then what happened? God was faithful and God tr- could trust God. God had a plan and God came through. Well, even in David's life, and, and there's, a, there's an underlying thing that, that God's pointing out too, but in David's life, David was anointed king already twice now. Saul anointed, uh, Samuel anointed him king, a triple anointing and pulled a whole thing of oil on his head. And then they made some uh, French fries on his head. And then um, after that, the men of Judah anoint him king. He's running for Saul. Saul finally dies and he thinks, okay, God, finally. You anointed me king when I was 16 years old. And now here I am so many years later and I'm finally king. And then no, there's still trouble. And so part of also what God is showing us and teaching us is that trouble doesn't mean that God has left you or forsaken you or that God's plan for you has not come into fruition or that God's plan for you is not exactly the way that God designed it and God has it. I, I want to I tell you and I want to love you and tell you that God's plan for you includes trouble. God's plan for you includes heartache and hard times and things that you're going to go through. Nowhere and no one person ever in the Bible didn't experience it. You know, and, and again, for all these whack jobs out there, you know, on TBN and these other weird, you know, faith healer movement, Christian teaching stuff, where, where their whole point is that God's will for your life is to be happy, healthy, wealthy. Well, I'm sorry. How, 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 could you, how could you believe that when you can't find one person in the Bible that was happy, healthy, wealthy? So for 6,000 years, nobody ever has been able to do God's will of being happy, healthy, wealthy. Does God want you happy, healthy, wealthy? Yeah, sure, of course, that's a part of God's plan. You can be happy, healthy, wealthy. But if you're not happy, healthy, wealthy, it has nothing to do with you being in the center of God's will, with you being loved, with you being provided for and exactly where God wants you. And so David now, seven and a half years later, more trouble. God's plan is really starting to come to life, but it's not without trouble. It still includes trouble. And for seven and a half years, and then even later in David's life, the kingdom is gonna get divided again. But he he will get it united at, at some point and all 12 tribes will be under the rule of King David for a season and under the rule of his son Solomon for a season. And then after that, never again. And in verse 12, it says, Now Abner, so Abner's with who? Abner's the general of whose army? Saul, S.A., right? He's the main guy in Saul's army. And now Saul's dead, so Abner's kind of calling the shots in the north. The son of Ner and the servants of Ishboseth, the son of Saul, went out from Mahanim to Gibeon. And Joab, Joab's with who? David, DJ, the son of Zariah, the servants of David went out and met them by the pool of Gibeon. So they sat down one on one side of the pool and the other on the other side of the pool. So the two generals of the north and the south are going to get together and, and they're going to have a little meeting. So these guys all get together. And then Abner, who's with who? Saul and Joab, who's with? said, let the young men now arise and compete before us. And Joab said, hey, that's a good idea. Let them arise. So they arose and went over by number, 12 from Benjamin, followers of Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, and 12 from the servants of David. And each one grasped his opponent by the head and thrust his sword in his opponent's side. So they fell down together. Therefore, that place was called the field of the sharp sword, which is in Gibeon. You know, it's funny because you'd think that, um, nothing funny about it really, to be honest, but you would think that what's, what's, what's ironic is that you would think that we've, we've kind of evolved, right? Or we've, we've come, we've come a long way as humans in, in 
But you know what? This has never changed, really. This, this mentality and this idea and this violence, you know, the Romans had the gladiator games and, you know, we have the UFC and, you know, and I guess we don't <coughs> fight to the death, but, but this idea and this violence that somehow is, in, is deep in the heart of men, and this is real life. So these, these guys get together, Joab and Abner, these two mighty men, these generals, and they're going to talk about this new thing and, and they sit down and first thing they do is go, Let's have the men entertain us. You pick 12 and I'll pick 12 and have them kill each other. So they get out their swords and Joab and these guys are like from me to you watching these guys kill each other. I'm like, it's normal. And I, I don't know. I just think it's crazy. I think what's in the heart of men is crazy. I mean, the Bible says, you know, the heart is, is desperately wicked above all things. Who can know it? You know, it's deceitful above all things. And you know, it's scary what, what really can be in the heart of men, you know, especially without Jesus. That's why we need Jesus so much. So anyways, there's this blood sport. It really is just, just blood sport. So these 12 guys and nobody prevailed. And it was kind of like, you know, whatever side prevailed, then that side would win. Um, I, I think I've seen this somewhere modeled, this 12 on 12, where, where 12 guys fight 12 guys and they don't do a swords. They do it in a ring and they're fighting, fighting, and it's 12 on 12, but... Um, so no, nobody wins. They all killed each other. Somehow, you know, all 12 guys, all 24 guys killed each other and died at the same time. And so um, each one grabbed his opponent, fell together, that the place was called the field. In verse 17, so there was a very fierce battle that day, and Abner and the men of Israel were, were beaten before the servants of David. So there's a civil war going on. I guess these 12 on 12 didn't decide it, so the rest of the men started fighting. Now the three sons of Zariah were there, Joab, Abishai, and Asahel. So Joab is with who? David. And so he has a brother, Abishai, and a brother, Asahel. And Asahel was as fleet of foot as a wild gazelle. What does that mean? He was fast. That dude could run. And Asahel pursued Abner. Who's Abner with? Saul. And, is, and in going, he did not turn to the right hand or to the left from following Abner. And Abner looked behind him and said, Are you Asahel? And he answered, I am. And Abner said to him, Turn aside to your right hand or to your left and lay a hold of one of the young men and take his armor for yourself. But Asahel would not turn aside from following him. So Abner said to Asahel, Turn aside from following me. Why should I strike you to the ground? How then could I face your brother Joab? And so Asahel is Joab's brother, David's general, and um, the, the men are fighting, and Joab, or, or um, um, Abner begins, he's, fli- he's running, and Asahel, who's fast as a gazelle, is chasing him. Now again, Abner is a real warrior. He's a man's man. He's a fighter. He's a killer. He's, he's one of the mighty men of, of, of the Bible who have these unbelievable accomplishments. And here's Asahel chasing him, and he's trying to talk some sense into him. And he says, why me? Of all the men you could choose to pick in this battle and fight, why do you want to fight me? And I don't want to kill you because your brother, um, your brother is Joab. And, and, and I don't want no trouble with Joab. So just turn aside, stop following me, go pick one of the other guys that's more your size, that's more your speed, somebody that you might be able to handle and fight them. And Abner continues to run and Asahel continues to chase him. And he, and he, he warns him, you know, you're biting off more than you can chew. Leave me alone. You don't want this. I don't want to kill you. 
And then in verse 23, however, he refused to turn aside. Therefore, Abner struck him in the stomach with the blunt end of the spear. So Abner was going to cut him a break. So Abner took his spear and he spun it around so that he didn't hit him with the sharp end. And he just hit him with the blunt end of the spear in his midsection just to get his attention and say, hey, you know, leave me alone. But unfortunately, because Abner was a man among men, it says he hit him with the blunt end of the spear and the spear came out of his back. Whoops. He just about to pop him in the ribs, and the spear comes out of the blunt end of the spear. Dude, I, I wonder if I could put a spear on your chest and drive a tractor into it if I could push it through your chest. I mean, what would it take to take the blunt end of a spear and like nothing, just push it through your chest to come out your back? So he hits him with it, and, and this is, again, God's not exaggerating. He's not lying. He's telling stories. These, these were men. And so he, he hits this kid with the back end of the spear, trying to give him a break, but unfortunately it went through his back. And then it says, um, and he fell down there and died on the spot. Yeah, no duh. So it was, did it say something about the fifth rib? No. No, 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 that's coming up. Okay. So it was that as many as came to the place where Asahel fell down and died, stood still. And Joab and Abishai also pursued Abner. And the sun was going down when they came to the hill of Evamora, which is before Gila, by the road to the wilderness of Gibeon. Now the children of Benjamin gathered together behind Abner and came, became a unit and took their stand on top of the hill. And Abner called to Joab and said, Shall the sword devour forever? Do you not know that it will be bitter in the latter end? How long will, you, will it be until you tell your people to return from pursuing their brethren? And Joab said, as God lives, unless you had spoken, surely by morning all the people would have given up pursuing, would, would have given up pursuing their brethren. So Joab blew a trumpet and all the people stood still and did not pursue Israel anymore, nor did they fight anymore. So he kind of made a, a peace treaty, you know, and it's civil war, first of all, which is, which is, really disgusting because they're killing their own brethren. They're killing each other. And so finally he calls a truce. They call it back and they go home. And then the verse 29, then Abner and his men went on all that night through the plain, crossed over the Jordan and went through all Bithron and they came to Mahinium. So Joab returned from pursuing Abner. And when he had gathered all the people together, there were missing of David's servants, 19 men and Ahasuerus. But his servants of David had struck down of Benjamin and Abner's men, 360 men who died. So 360 to 19 was the result of that fight. So David and his men obviously um, prevailed and were better uh, better fighters in this battle, or God was with them. In verse 32, then they took up Ahasuerus and buried him with his father's tomb, which is in Bethlehem. And Joab and his men went all night, and they came to Hebron at daybreak. Now there was a long war between the house of Saul and the house of David. But David grew stronger and stronger, and the men of Saul grew weaker and weaker. Sons were born to David in Hebron. His first was Amnon by Ahinoam, the Jezreelitess, the second Chileab by, by Abigail, the widow of Nabal, the Carmelite, and the third Absalom, the son of, Ma- of Maka, the daughter of Talmi, king of Geshur, the fourth Adod- Adonijah. Now remember Absalom, um, David's son here that was born to him of Abigail. Now you remember Abigail, right? Do you remember which wife she was? How did David get Abigail? the Carmelitis. You remember he went um, to Nabal's house and he asked Nabal for some food for his men. 
And Nabal said, I ain't giving you nothing. And then Abigail heard the story and she came and she made peace. And, and then Ab- Abigail told her husband that David and his men were on the way to kill him and his heart stopped and he died. And then David went back and he took her as a wife. Um, that's Abigail. Now, one of the things that's, that's a mistake here, that's a flaw that, that God records. And, you know, one of the things the Bible is just brutally honest. The Bible tells the lives of men and women just the way it happened. It's one of the ways we know the Bible is true and real because, you know, if, if it was written by men, we wouldn't tell all these stories. We'd, make, we'd leave things out that, that really seemed bad. But David here begins a practice that becomes one of his biggest weaknesses and downfalls is that David begins to multiply wives to himself. Maybe his son Solomon, you know, watched his father do it and, and then, you know, doubled him and then some. David had before it was over 300 wives. Solomon ends up with a thousand wives or 300 wives and 700 concubines. But God said very clearly in the law that, that the kings of Israel were not to multiply wives to themselves. They were not to multiply um, horses and they were not to multiply gold and silver to themselves. And um, both kings broke all three of these rules. Um, maybe David didn't multiply the horses but, or the silver. Solomon broke all three. But again, this, this is a weakness. And one of the things that happened, David had probably, I don't know, at least 50 kids, at least. Um, and, and in that, he, he became just really a bad father. He couldn't discipline his kids. He couldn't spend time with them. Somebody said, well, doesn't the Bible say blessed is the man who has a quiver full of them? Well, yeah, but 50 is not a quiver full. You can't carry a quiver with 50, 50 arrows in it. 10 maybe, but that's, that's just, and, and again, Absalom, who was born to Abigail, he's going to revolt against his father. His father's not going to discipline him. And we'll see in David's life, one of his weaknesses and one of his areas of really struggle all the way through is that David just, he, he, he doesn't have a testimony of being a good father. He didn't discipline his kids and he didn't, um, and they're going to rebel against him and just all the way through. So, but again, this was sin. This was sin in David's life. And, you know, I do point out that the Bible records, um, the polygamy practices of some of the Kings of the old Testament, but never one time in the Bible does it approve of it. You know, in the new Testament is very, very clear that a man should be the husband of one wife. And so there's, there's no, no wiggle room in that, or you can't say, well, David had lots of wives and God, God was okay with it. No, God wasn't okay with it. God told him not to do it and he did it anyways. And then it says um, in verse number six, now it was while there was war between the house of Saul and the house of David that Abner was strengthening his hold on the house of Saul. So again, Ishbosheth was the puppet. Abner was really the one who, who had the power and, um, and then Saul had a concubine whose name was Rizpah, the daughter of Ai. So Ishbosheth said to Abner, Why have you gone into my father's concubine? And Abner became very angry at the words of Ishbosheth and said, Am I a dog's head that belongs to Judah? Today I show loyalty to the house of Saul, your father, to his brothers and to his friends, and have not delivered you into the hand of David. And you charge me today with fault concerning this woman? So um, Abner becomes very defensive. Because Ishbosheth, who is the king, the puppet king, the son of Saul, calls him. And we don't know if, if, if it doesn't really say whether um, Abner was guilty of going into this woman or whether not, or what, you know, what the drama was, if he did or not. I'm assuming he did, and, but, but it doesn't say for sure. But the whole, the whole idea, we're going to see Absalom later, David's son is going to pull the same stunt. 
And basically what would happen is when you would um, kill a king and become a king, or you would try to overthrow a king, one of the things that you would do to show your, 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 your power is you would take his, his concubines, his wives, and you would sleep with them, and, and everybody would know it, and it would, it would be a, an out-and-out out sign. I mean, it would be death if, if you, know, you got caught doing something like that, but when you're trying to become the king or when you're showing power, it was a common practice. Absalom is actually going to take, um, when he tries to overthrow his father, some of David's concubines and have sex with them up on the roof so everybody can see it again as the same kind of practice, this sign of power that, that was common when a new king would come to town. And so Abner, uh, Ishbosheth calls him on it. He says, you know, basically that's not, you know, you didn't just have, just didn't sleep with this woman. It's, it's more than that. It's a sign of power. And he calls him on it. Abner gets pretty upset with him. And then in verse nine, it says, may God do so to Abner and Mole also, if I do not for David, if I do not do for David as the Lord has sworn to him. Now, again, Abner, who, who made Ishbosheth king, now we get this, this insight and we know Abner knew all along who God's king was, right? He admits so much here. He's always known and he knew the Lord had sworn to David, but he wasn't willing to do it. And he said in verse 10, to transfer the kingdom from the house of Saul and set up the throne of David over Israel and over Judah. So again, you have those two terms there, Israel, the north, Judah, the south, from Dan to Beersheba. You may know what Dan to Beersheba is. Dan is as far north as you can go in Israel, and Beersheba is as far south as you can go in Israel. That's the biblical term from, uh, for, from San Francisco to New York. And that's what they say about Israel, from Dan to Beersheba. When I was in Israel uh, two trips ago, I was telling my guide, from Dan to Beersheba. And he said, oh, no, 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 we don't say that anymore. He said, it's from Dan to Elat because I guess there's a new city in Israel that's south of Beersheba now called Elat. So the new saying, the common saying in Israel today is from Dan to Elat. And then he says um, in verse 11, and he could not answer Abner another word because he feared him. So Ishbosheth again, you know, Abner was, was no joke, right? If Abner decided to pop you in the chest with the back of his spear, it'd come out your back. So he didn't say much more to him. And then Abner sent messengers on his behalf to David saying, whose is the land? saying also, make your covenant with me, and indeed my hand shall be with you, and bring all of Israel to you. And David said, good, I will make a covenant with you, but one thing I require of you, that you shall not see my face unless you first bring Michael, Saul's daughter, when you come to see my face. So David sent messengers to Ishbosheth, Saul's son, saying, give me my wife Michael, whom I betrothed to, to myself for a hundred foreskin of the Philistines. Saul asked him for a hundred foreskins for Michael. What did David give him? I hear someone whisper it. David gave him 200 foreskins of the Philistines. And so you guys remember Michael? So Abner in the north, Ishbosheth calls him on this woman. Abner says, Forget you, Ishbosheth. I'm going to turn the kingdom over to David. He sends messenger to David and he says, David, I'm going to deliver to you all of the north um, and, and unite the kingdoms. Because Ishbosheth made me mad. So David sends word back and he says, That's fine. But he says, You will not see my face unless you bring my wife Michael. They, uh, Saul, um, after um, David killed Goliath, one of the things that David was supposed to get as a result was, was Saul's daughter to be um, a, a wife to him and um, no taxes for the rest of his life. And then when, when 
David got into the kingdom and, and got around Saul, Saul said, actually, I want a hundred foreskins of the Philistines. David went out and killed 200 Philistines and brought him those. And then David uh, gave her, I'm sorry, Saul gave David Michael, his daughter, as a wife. But you remember, um, Michael's going to turn out to be kind of crazy and a thorn in David's side. And Saul even knew as much. He knew his daughter, Michael, had a very interesting personality. And so, um, but David wants her back. Why he wants her back, I don't know. She was trouble. She's going to be trouble down the road. I don't know if it was just a issue, but it was wrong what, what Saul did to her. Uh, or what Saul did to David, when David was running from Saul and Ziklag and all those years, what Saul did was he gave his daughter Michael to another man to be her husband, and and so she married another. And David said, you got to bring her for this meeting that we're going to have to unite the kingdoms. And it says um, in verse 15, And Ishbosheth sent and took her from her husband, from Peltiel, from the son of Laish. And then her husband went along with her to Behur, weeping behind her, so Abner said to him, go, return. And he returned. So not exactly one of the heroes of the Bible, but we have this Michael, uh, you know, for whatever reason, he loved her. Or maybe, I don't know, maybe he was, he was crying tears of joy. Who knows? But he, he follows her and you get this like, like lame puppy dog <laughs> following his wife crying as she's leaving, and, and he's not going to say a word to Abner, right? He's not going to challenge Abner, or, you know, he's just hoping maybe Abner's going to feel sorry for him, and Abner doesn't feel sorry for him, and like the man that he is, you know, Abner doesn't say, hey, buddy, man, I'm sorry, you know, it's just, she was promised to the king, and now he's a king, and he just says, go, return. And the guy, you know, he just turns around and returns, so this little weasel here just crying, following her, is funny biblical picture, but not a hero. And then it says um, in verse 17, now Abner had communicated with the elders of Israel saying, in times past, you were seeking for David to be your king over you. Now then do it. For the Lord has spoken to David by the hand of my servant, David, I will save my people Israel from the hand of the Philistines and the hand of all their enemies. And Abner also spoke in the hearing of Benjamin. Then Abner also went to speak in the hearing of David and Hebron and all that seemed good to Israel and the whole house of Benjamin. So Abner and 20 men with him came to David at Hebron and David made a feast for Abner and the men who were with him. And then Abner said to David, I will arise and go and gather all Israel to the Lord the king, that they may make a covenant with you and that you may reign over all that your hearts desire. So David sent Abner away and he went in peace. At the moment of the servants of David and Joab came from a raid and brought much spoil with them. But Abner was not with David in Hebron for he had sent him away and he had gone in peace. Now, it's going to tell us three times in a few verses that, that he went away in peace. He went away in peace. And more of a testimony that David sent him away in peace. Um, again, because Abner was, you know, somewhat of an enemy of David and, and, and a friend of Saul. But David's willing to make peace with them, unite the kingdom. Do you remember when David took Abner's spear that was by Saul's head and he yelled out, Hey, Abner, aren't you supposed to be the defender of the king? And and, and again, they, they've been somewhat enemies. Abner killed the brother, Ahasahel kills, the last story we just studied, right? Kills the brother of Joab, David's general. And so Joab comes back from the war and he's mad. He's mad because um, David let him go in peace. And he's like, you had him? You had the guy that murdered my brother? 
you had Abner right here and you had dinner with him and you made a deal with him and you sent him away in peace. And so Abner is not, uh, Joab's not happy about it. And in verse 12, or verse 23, and it says, um, Joab saying, Abner, the son of Ner, came to the king, and he sent him away, and he has gone in peace. Second time. Then Joab came to the king and said, what have you done? Uh-oh. We see a little bit of a problem here. Now, now Joab is always going to be um, a problem. Matter of fact, what, what's going to happen is he's just never going to go away. And again, Joab is, is just that guy. He's just a man's man's man, and he's rough and tough and, you know, and formidable. And not, not to say David wasn't. David was the same exact type of man. But all through, and, and he was loyal to David. But at the same time, you know, David is the king. And you come to the king with this disdain and this disrespect. What have you done? Challenging his decision? You know, it's kind of like an off with your head moment. But, but again, there's, there's this... When, uh, when David's getting ready to die and he's passing the kingdom on to Solomon, he's going to tell his son Solomon, you got to do one favor for me as king. He said, man, you better kill Joab. He's going to have him killed at the end of his life because he's been troubled to David his whole life. And he just constantly was troubled. David brought another guy and made him the general. And Joab went and killed him, came back, said, hey, I'm here. That guy's dead. I'm the general again, you know, and on and on and on. But here, so here he's challenging David's authority and, you know, not... Not in a good way. What have you done? Look, Abner came to you, and why is it that you sent him away? And he has already gone. Surely you realize that Abner, the son of Ner, came to deceive you, to know you're going in and you're out. So basically he came as a spy. And when Joab had gone from David's presence, he sent messengers after Abner and brought him back from the well of Sirah. So that wasn't very far. The well of Sirah was maybe a couple miles away from Hebron. Um, but David did not know it. So remember that, David didn't know it. And Abner had returned to Hebron, and Joab took him aside in the gate to speak with him privately. And, and there he stabbed him in the stomach so that he died for the blood of Asahel, his brother. So Joab's avenging his brother Asahel, and he kills, Joab, or he kills Abner. Now, Abner didn't want to kill Asahel. We know that, but Joab doesn't care. And afterward, when David heard it, he said to him, my king, my kingdom and I are guiltless before the Lord, before the blood of Abner, the son of Ner. Let it rest on the head of Joab and all his father's house and let there never fall in the house of Joab one who has a discharge or is a leper, who leans on a staff, falls on the sword or who lacks bread. So David really cursed um, Joab in this, um, in verse 29. He also writes Psalm 109 at this time. So we, I was gonna read it, but we're out of time. You can check it out for yourself. Psalm 109, you write there. It's always fun and interesting as we go through this to, to connect the places where David was in his life when he wrote the Psalms. Um, but David was not, we'll, cut, we'll stop there, you guys, and then um, pick up there next week. David was not happy with um, Saul. I mean, yeah, with Saul over what he did. David's going to mourn for Abner. He's going to throw a, a party and he curses Saul because uh, he didn't know. And then the people see, the people are going to see that David wasn't in the hand of betraying Abner. And the people are going to respect David for that. And so let's stand. Father God, we come before you, Lord Jesus. And we thank you, Father, so much for this day. And 
God, we pray your blessing over each and every one of our lives. Lord, we thank you for the stories of King David. And God, we see that he was a man that was greatly used by you, God. A man who you said was a man after your own heart. Lord, a man who, who had an amazing ability to, to worship, to write, to lead. And, and yet, Lord, you also record the, the weaknesses of Saul, of David. And that he was disobedient. He was a man in the flesh and he, he was a violent man and he, he multiplied wives unto himself. And Lord, even in our weakness, you can use us. And Lord, you, you don't use perfect men. Never once in the Bible are any of the men or women that you use perfect. And God, if you had to only use perfect men, none of us would ever, um, there would be nobody that would ever be used. Because you said that all hearts are desperate and that all are sinners and all have, have strayed. And so, Lord, in each one of us as not and, and very imperfect people, God, that you can still use us, that you still love us. God, that you've chosen to use imperfect people to do your perfect will. And so, God, we pray that we would be encouraged that, Lord, even when our, our life's a struggle, as King David's life was often a struggle, but your hand was, was orchestrating it. Your hand was on it. And, Lord, in our lives, we know that your hand and your presence is with us. And so God, encourage us in the struggles. Encourage us to know that we can trust you in every um, aspect, and every stage of life. God, help us to never, never, never not trust you. God, encourage, increase our faith. And Lord, we know that you're with us. Your hand is upon us. And we thank you for the promise that you gave us in the book of Romans, that, that the, the, the struggles of this life are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. And God, we thank you for that hope that this is not heaven and that one day we'll be in heaven. And we love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.